Heavenly Father, as we once again come to your word, we come to um, the written word, the inspired word. We ask that the Holy Spirit who inspired it um, will now illuminate it for our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our ears. That as we learn from the written word, we see the living word, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we see him in conversation, that it might spark a conversation that shadows uh, his words in our own lives, and our own journeys, in our own ministries. We ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts, and draw us together through your Holy Spirit. We pray all of this, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. I invite you to turn to John chapter 8. And uh, in verse 31. Now, John 8, we've, we've been in here for a couple weeks. I want to remind you how this chapter starts. The chapter starts with Jesus teaching in, um, in the temple. We find out later he's teaching in the treasury, which, in other words, he's, che- he's preaching right outside of the offering box, which is an interesting place um, to be speaking. Um, and... He is, he's got a crowd gathered around him, and then um, the, uh, the, the religious, the overly religious Jews bring a woman who has been caught in adultery, and they ask him to decide uh, to judge her. And Jesus does that thing where he scribbles in the sand. And uh, his accusers kind of melt into the crowd, but we find out later they, they haven't really gone away. They've just kind of drifted out of focus. And then Jesus, in the second part of the chapter, beginning in verse 12, um, Jesus, um, Jesus is dealing with, a, a, he brings up this point of, I am the light of the world. And he starts to challenge those who are gathered around him to listen to what he has to say. He, he draws them into a, a pretty intense conversation and he allows them to ask a lot of questions, to make a lot of statements. Um, and he's, he's drawing them into this discussion. And when he gets uh, down, when we get down to verse 20, um, it says, or 29, the scriptures say that he who sent me, this is Jesus, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I am always doing the things that are pleasing to him. Um, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So we get this statement that um, there are many who believed in him. There are many who are, um, who are uh, the, the, the idea is believing in him. So they're, they're, they're listening to him. They're hearing him and they're saying, ah, okay. Now we tend to read that word believe and we think of, of I'm a believer, all right, I, I'm, I've, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I'm a believer in Christ. This is not what, what is meant here. John is not saying these people have committed their lives to following Jesus, but rather they're willing to accept that what he's saying is true, and they're willing to continue uh, kind of figuring out this Jesus thing. In a world that we live in where we are always trying to get people to buy in. 
We are always trying to get people um, to embrace something. And, and we are marketed to 24-7. Um, just curious, have any of you ever changed who you were going to vote on based on a mailer? I mean, if you're like me, the more mailers you get, the less likely you are to vote for anyone that has sent you a mailer. Um, you know, I'm like, is there an anonymous option? Someone who couldn't afford to send me a mailer? Um, it's, at times, this is the time of year where I just don't check my mail. Uh, I go get my mail once a week and just dump it in the trash because it's just piled. In fact, we were at the gym a couple of weeks ago and um, I looked up at the TV screen and literally every commercial break was nothing but politicians running for, for whatever office they were running. There was nothing else being advertised. You were just could buy a person. That was what you could do. Um, we, we are endlessly marketed to, right? Um, we are always being told which car is the best car for us. Um, I always love car, car commercials because especially high-end car commercials where they try to spin that 700 or $800 a month is affordable. Like, like yeah, this is great. Um, or, or, you know, there, there's all of those things. The electric Mustang is my favorite. I mean, who doesn't want to buy a muscle car and pull up to the stoplight and look across at the guy in the, the car next door and go, woom, woom. Right? Um, but they, they're presenting, we're constantly being marketed to. We're constantly being sold and we're constantly being invited that this is really what you want. This is where you want to be. Well, Jesus would have been a terrible marketing guy. Because here's what he does. So a, a marketing guy or a sales guy, right, these got these people are listening, right? So now it's time to set the hook. Now it's time to really draw them in. Now it's time to, to get the commitment. So what does Jesus do? Verse 21, all right, or verse 31, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. So he's talking to the people that are interested if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, so far, not bad. He's like, listen, you follow me, and you're going to find truth, and that truth is going to set you free. Now, a lot of times we, we read this and we stop there. We go, yes, the truth will set me free. And they answered him, we are the offspring or the seed of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. So how is it that you say you will become free? Now, this is an extraordinary statement by a group of people currently enslaved by the Romans. Who previous to the Romans had been enslaved to the Greeks. And previous to the Greeks had been enslaved by the Persians. And previous to the Persians had been enslaved by the Babylonians. And previous to that had been subservient to the Egyptians. Um, it's been quite a while since they've actually been free. Um, in fact, their entire history, they are being bounced around like a pinball, right? like a ball in a pinball machine, by whatever world power is present at the given time. Now, as an Old Testament guy, just so you know, the, this, the, the land of Israel, the reason that so much archaeology goes on in the land of Israel is that place has been conquered, burned down, and rebuilt so many times. 
that you can just spend an entire lifetime digging in literally two square yards and finding just layer after layer after layer after layer. It is, it's astounding to see just how much um, is being excavated constantly. This is a place that's always been enslaved. And so they say, how is it that you say you will become free? So now, what are they doing? They're engaging in an intellectual exchange. I talked about how Jesus is not afraid to have an exchange with people. I talked about that a few weeks ago. So he says, you abide in my word, and and I'm going to set you free. You know, you'll find the truth, and the truth will set you free. And their response is, well, we've never been slaves. We don't have this problem. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This is anyone, anyone, who, um, anyone who has seen sin in their lives. Now, I think it's extraordinary, and I want you to keep this in mind, that Jesus is talking not only to the group of people who are willing to listen, but all those people that brought this adulterous woman before him at the beginning of this chapter. And when they wanted Jesus to stone her, to order her to be stoned, he scribbled in the sand, and we don't know what he scribbled, but he did something that convicted them and they drifted away, probably pointing out their own sin that they had not been judged for. So now he says, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Now, keep in mind where Jesus is talking here, because he has mentioned earlier, previous uh, in verse uh, 28, he said that they would lift up the Son of Man, and that's when they would believe. He was talking about his crucifixion. Now he starts talking about sons and slaves. Well, what's the deal with a son and a slave? What is the difference between a son and a slave in the ancient world? In the ancient world, the only difference between a son and a slave was whether the father had chosen to call you a son. See, in the Roman world, being a son had nothing to do with biology. Just because you were born, uh, some, some guy got a woman pregnant and you were born, that did not make you his son. Now that sounds weird, but that's how their society works. You could be a child, but you were not a son. Um, one of the dangers that happens in some of the modern translations, they translate, they change the word son to child. That's, that defeats the point of the Roman world. In the Roman world, a son was someone the father chose as a son. So when he says you have been, uh, you've, everyone who practices sin is a slave, or the Greek word is doulos, he's saying you might live in the house of the father. But you're not a son. Now this is going to become an important point as this discussion rolls on. A slave does not remain in the house forever. See, when a slave's time was done, he was out. And this, Jesus is actually referring to a practice that is commended in the Torah and the law where a man could serve, serve as a servant, he would serve um, in a household, and when his time of service was over, he could choose to ask his master um, to put an earring in his ear 
Um, and not like a pretty bangly earring. We're talking about a, a nasty steel hoop um, that was very easily identifiable. It wasn't like, oh. Um, but the, the, uh, and, and the practice was actually he would lay his head against the, the, the door jam, and his master would take an awl, an A-W-L, and drive it through his ear, bend it, and turn it into an earring. And you go, that's gross, all right? But the, what he was doing, though, was he was making him permanently a member of the house. And so Jesus is kind of leaning on this. See, a son doesn't have to um, ask the master to keep him in the house. A son stays in the house forever. And then verse 36, he says, So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now here's where he starts to really push their buttons. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, because that's what they said. We're the offspring of Abraham. But you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Um, remember all those times we've been talking about this when they seem to challenge Jesus' parentage? He's about to challenge theirs. It's not going to make them happy. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Now, Abraham actually means the father of people. That's the, the father of peoples. That's what his name means. And Abraham is the founder of their faith. He's the recipient of the covenants with God. He's, and so if you're a Jew, Abraham is, is your father. Right? Um, and when you were a kid growing up in church, you probably sang, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm not going to have you sing it because then you're all going to be swinging your hands around and... You're going to have to remember which is left and right, and it's too early in the morning. Um, but Abraham is our father. They said, we know who our father is. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would, do the work, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Now, I could be wrong. But I think that Jesus is alluding to a moment in the book of Genesis when uh, we find out that the angel of the Lord, and, and actually it winds up that Abraham is talking to God himself, is, is coming by Abraham's house and they have a meal together. And then the angel of the Lord stands up to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm sure you've heard of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, known for sin and debauchery and all kinds of craziness. And Abraham's nephew Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah, um, living in Sodom with his family. And the angel of the Lord goes to go to Sodom to judge the city. And there's actually this moment where he says, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And he turns around and he tells Abraham what he's about to do. And Abraham's response is not good. They deserve it. If you know the, the story, what Abraham does is he says, well, you know, I don't mean to, I'm not going to question the messenger of the Lord. But if you could find, you know, say 50 righteous people in that city, would you spare that city? Yeah, I'd spare it for city. Well, what about, and he eventually gets down to 10. Abraham's like, if you could find 10 
would you spare the city for them? And the funny thing is, you can't even find ten. Right? When the angel goes, there's not even ten there to protect him. But he says, if you were of your father Abraham, you would be doing the works your father did. Well, what was Abraham's work in that particular situation? It was mercy. It was compassion. It was, it was actively trying to avoid the deaths of people. And yet this is a group of people who are looking for a reason to get rid of Jesus. To marginalize him, if necessary, to kill him. And he says, if you were doing the works of your father, if you were doing the works of Abraham, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. This is the second time he says this, right? So he just said, in verse 38, he said, you do what you have heard from your father. Now he says, you are doing the works your father did. At some point, they've got to be asking the question, who on earth is he talking about? Why does he keep making this contrast with the Father? Verse 41, they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Remember? Jesus' mom was pregnant before they were married. We weren't born of sexual immorality. In other words, how dare you challenge us? We have one father, even God. So they decide to up the game. All right, okay, you get a problem with Abraham. We're going to go one level up. We're going to go, our father is God. Oops. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. Now remember what they believed. The group of people that stuck around in verse, in verse, uh, in the previous section of verse 29 and verse 30, the people that stuck around and believed were the ones who were willing to hear Jesus say, "You know, I was sent from the Father." Verse 29: He who, or, he who sent me is with me. He's talking about the Father. So now he's challenging them. They say, well, we, we have one father, even God. And he says, if you were God's, if God were your father, you would love me. I came from him. I didn't come of my own accord. He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. So let me spell it out for you. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Now, the word devil, all right, diabolos, it means the one who throws accusation. And that's why it, you, often it's rendered as the accuser. Dia, out, through, and bolos, to throw. He is the thrower of accusation. He is the accuser. He is the prosecutor. Um, he is the, uh, the one who demands more of you than grace would ever require to show that you are not worthy. You are of the father of your, de- uh, you are of, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And the reason that you want to kill me, Jesus says, is because he was a murderer from the beginning 
and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. All the way back to the book of Genesis. What was the consequence of Adam and Eve listening to the voice of the servant? It was that they would die. He was a murderer. There's no truth in him. This is certainly Jesus winning friends and influencing people. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. I do not think for a second that Jesus has forgotten about this woman that was brought before him, accused of adultery. This woman who they had probably lain in wait for. This woman who they probably knew about, but they decided to drag her in front of Jesus at the most opportune moment to try to get him to say something that they could use to convince, that they could use to convict him, to, to, uh, to get rid of him, um, to argue that he was... Uh, He was not who he said he was. From the beginning, from the beginning of this moment, they have been trying to manipulate the truth for their own purposes. Where was the man who had been committing adultery with the woman? Why wasn't she brought? Why do they walk away when Jesus scribbles in the sand? They are not telling the whole truth. And Jesus is calling these religious leaders on the carpet in front of people, and he's calling them liars because that's what they are and he's calling them children of the accuser because that's what they're doing because i tell you the truth in verse 45 you do not believe me do you know this is for free believing the truth is as bad or not believing the truth is as much a lie as telling something that is false. Not believing the truth is as much a lie as saying something that is false. You can think about that. Is it any less false to not believe the truth than it is to stay, state something that is fa- a lie? Which one of you convicts me of sin? Why are they here? I keep bringing this up. Why are these people standing in front of Jesus right now? They wanted him to convict the woman of sin that required death. So now Jesus turns it to himself. He says, any of you want to convict me of sin? Now, they don't dare do that. However, if they refuse to say that Jesus is sinning in the things that he is saying, and the things that he is saying disagree with what they are saying, what are they admitting? They're liars. Do not get into a verbal battle with Jesus. He will turn you inside out. And that's exactly what he does to them. They have, they have been working on this. And Jesus is drawing them in and saying, look, if you really believed that what I was saying was false, you would be willing to convict me of it. And yet you won't. Now eventually they will get to a point 
where they will willingly pay people to lie about Jesus to get him convicted. And they're not there yet, but they're getting there because he's irritating. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now John has been building up to this for chapters. Remember the lame man at the pool all the way back. Why was he at the pool? Because the righteous Jews dropped off the lame and the weak at the pool so that they could go into the temple. And when Jesus healed that lame man and he went into the temple, what was the immediate response from the the Jews in the temple? It was they wanted to know who had dared to heal this man on the Sabbath day. At every point, as Jesus has been trying to demonstrate the love and grace and compassion of God the Father, these people have been standing in the way. Why are they standing in the way? Because despite the trappings of their religion, despite the trappings of their faithfulness and their righteousness, they refuse to hear from God. Right now, on a Sunday morning in North America and around the world, there are millions and millions of people gathered in buildings that have church on the outside who are hearing everything except the voice of God. They're hearing 12 steps to live a happy life. They're they're hearing uh, messages that talk about any number of things. I could go through my, my hit list of my favorites. Um, but I won't. Um, they they, they want to do everything except study the Bible. When somebody comes to me and says, I went to church all of my life, but they don't know the first thing about the Bible. Guess what? You went to a place with church on the outside of the building, but you didn't go to church. Uh, Ray said earlier about being a church that preaches the Bible Well, I certainly hope we are, because without the authority of the Bible, we are not a church. Without the presence of Christ, the living word, revealed to us in the written word, uh, empowered by the Spirit of God, what is the point? And when Jesus confronts these religious people, the real problem is not even that they are lying. It's not even that they're false. The real problem is they're not hearing from God. convicting message you would expect that jesus after preaching this people would just be flocking he would start just as i am and everybody would come to the the altar and repent how did they respond we were right in saying that you're a samaritan and have a demon that's their response you're not hearing from god samaritan demon That's the response. Jesus answered. I can't even believe Jesus had to utter this word. I do not have a demon. And and I I I have to be honest with you, I when I see Jesus, and I could be wrong, but in my my mind, after he delivers this message, 
when they respond back that I actually see Jesus going like, I do not have a demon. I honor my father. And you dishonor him. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He's rolling back this whole devil thing. Remember? He said, you're of your father the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. What is murder? Murder is the cause of death. He, he convinced Adam and Eve that to do something that brought death in the world. And Jesus says, if you line up with my word, you're lining up with the father. If you're lining with the father, you are reversing the effect of sin and bringing life into your world. Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the fathers. These guys. This is like having a metaphysical conversation with a kindergartner. Jesus makes a statement and they just go, oh yeah? Well, Abraham died. So did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. He said, see, not taste, but that's beside the point. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Oh, boy. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus said, well, I'm glad you asked. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. Now I want to remind you, who is Jesus doing this for? It's not for the religious leaders who are never going to obey. It's for the people who are listening in the wings. It's for the people who are shocked by the way that he treated this adulterous woman and are now listening eagerly to hear who Jesus is. Jesus answers his opponents with a word for those who are listening. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? I mean, come on. This is their response. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Make no mistake about it. Jesus declares himself to be the God of the Old Testament in this verse. I am the God who Abraham knew. I am the God who promised Isaac. I am the God who created the covenant that you claim to be obeying. How dare you question me? And the response of these religious believer, religious leaders who don't have an ounce of true faith in them 
they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why did they bring the Samaritan woman to him? To see whether he would say, go ahead and stone her. And what do they wind up trying to do? Stone him. What was their problem? Was it the adultery? Their problem is they don't know God. They're not listening to him. They're not hearing his voice. They're not directed by his Holy Spirit. And as a result, they are missing the glory of God incarnate right in front of them. Where is our focus? Where is our focus? Uh, years ago, and I, I use this all the time, I, I do this all the time, but I, whenever I'm leading something, I always talk about um, the KISS principle that my dad taught me when I was about eight, which is keep it simple, stupid. Years ago, when we started trying to figure out what God wanted us to be as a church, one of the first things that we always have to do is get all of the other voices out of the way so we can hear the voice of God. The voice that says you have to have this or that program. The voice that says you have to have this or that thing going on. The voice that says you have to conform, you have to adjust, you have to be. You have to market, you have to sell, you have to look. This is not a, a knock in any way, shape, or form, but we were down in Virginia. I guess it kind of is. We were down in Virginia. We visited a church um, where it was very obvious that the pastor had an image consultant. His hair was a perfect way. His shirt was a smedium. Um, if you don't know what a smedium is, that's a, that's a shirt that's just... It's, if you watch The Office, it's a European cut. Um, it's a shirt that's really too tight. But as long as you don't breathe hard or do anything like inhale, you know, you look very masculine and manly. Everything was polished. Everything was refined. Everything was perfect. It was so polished and so refined that you could slip in and out of there and say you went to church and never once be confronted with the reality of who God is, who his spirit is, what he wants to do with you. If you can manage to do that at Bedford Road, kudos to you. Because our desire has always been to get all the voices out of the way so that the only voice we hear is the word of God, the voice of Jesus. Now I'm aware I have an <clears throat> imposing personality. Um, I, I talk a lot. It's kind of my job. Um, I am, uh, I've got quirks. Uh, for some reason, those appeal to some people. Not really sure why. Every one of us has our, 
our kind of our perception and our thought and our idea. But if you come to Bedford Road because of Eric DeVitra, you're missing the point and you're not hearing the Holy Spirit. My wife is like awesome, right? I mean, I think we can all agree on that, right? But if you're coming to Bedford Road because my wife is awesome, you're coming for the wrong reason. Um, you say, oh, I just love the fill-in-the-blanks because our music is different every week. I always love the hymns, right? I, I love the music or I love the guitar players or I love whatever. If that's why you're coming to church. You're coming for the wrong reason. You're not listening. We are here to create environments where people encounter Jesus and then journey together with each other and with him. I had a friend who started a church, did not do communion for the first three years. He started a church. Couldn't figure out a way to fit it into his worship service. And when they decided to do, this was awesome. I don't even think I've told you this story, Ray. Ray. Um, when they decided to do communion, one of his guys called me and asked if they could borrow our trays. I'm like, really? You don't think you're going to use them enough to invest in a set of your own? So we gave them a set of trays. We're like, here, do communion. It's kind of in the Bible. You should do it pretty regular. Who are you here to hear from? If we're here to hear confirmation that we're all right, we're okay, I'm all right, I'm okay, you can get that anywhere. That's not why we're here. If you're here to hear some gnome ramble on about the history of the Bible, you're here for the wrong reason. I don't call myself a hobbit anymore. I was informed... I was informed that hobbits have big feet, so <laughs> my wife insists that I am, in fact, an elf, um, but my beard doesn't grow long enough, so I've gone with gnome. Um, if you're, you're here to be impressed, you're here for the wrong reason. We are here to hear from God, to align our hearts and our minds with Jesus who not only is the firstborn of the resurrection, but is the sustainer and creator of all things. We are here to attempt to know him and in knowing him to see creation renewed, our lives revived, our world transformed. We are here because the gospel is not just a message of you'll be okay in the end. It is a message of the God of the Bible stepped into this world, born of a virgin, lived without sin, offered himself as an offering and atonement for the sins of all who believe, and on the third day was raised again and now sits on the right hand of the Father and we await his return as our King and Lord. And while we're waiting, we are listening for his voice. Would you join me in a word of prayer?
Holy Spirit, you speak to us on a level that we cannot hear. From your word, from the lips of the prophets and the apostles, and from the lips of our Lord himself. May we hear Jesus' words. Jesus, may we give our lives to you, to abide in you, and to know your truth and be set free. Father, you are above all. We thank you that in Jesus we are able to approach you, to know you. May you be glorified in our lives, not just in our worship services, but in our devotion to you and your word. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, this time has been consecrated to you. May it radiate out and transform the world around us as we live out your words. We pray this. Amen. My brothers and sisters, if you're part of the child safety uh, seminar that's going to be going on, we'll meet downstairs in a few minutes. Other than that, go in peace.